Well, let's turn in our Bibles now to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses 16 to 21 this morning as we complete this chapter of the book of Romans. And I suspect that all of us have encountered the sad reality that Paul is describing in these verses here at the end of Romans chapter 10. Someone that you love does not believe the gospel. Someone that you know, someone that you care about does not trust Christ. And yet the reason for their unbelief is not that they have never heard the gospel. They have heard it. Maybe they've heard it many times. And yet they have not believed it. And they go on not believing it. When Paul was in Antioch of Pisidia in Acts chapter 13, he went to the synagogue, which was uh, his habit throughout his ministry. Whenever he came to a new town and there was a, a synagogue, that's where he would go first. So he went to this synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia, and he was given an opportunity to speak. And so he rose to speak, and he rehearsed the highlights of the history of Israel, the promises that God had made to his people, the faithfulness that he had shown to the nation of Israel, leading all the way up to the ministry of John the Baptist and to the coming of Jesus the Messiah. And he related how the Jews in Jerusalem did not recognize Jesus as the promised Savior and King spoken of in the Scriptures, but instead crucified Him. And yet God raised Him up from the dead, Paul said, and now Paul is in Antioch announcing the good news that God has kept His promises, He sent the Messiah, and His name is Jesus. And after what was probably a rather lengthy sermon that Luke has condensed for us in Acts, Luke tells us that this is how the people responded. It says, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So initial response was good. A lot of people wanted to hear what Paul had to say. But, Luke goes on to tell us, when the Jews, or excuse me, the, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Now, Paul grieved for his kinsmen who did not believe, but it did not shock him. He knew, based on the Old Testament scriptures, that that was what was going to happen, that that was even part of God's plan. The failure of many Jews to believe, in fact, their opposition to the good news that Paul was preaching, didn't stop him from continuing to preach from city to city all across the Roman Empire. He argued that the scriptures say 
that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And he said, in Romans chapter 10, we saw last time, people can't believe, or they can't call on the name of the Lord unless they believe in Him. And they can't believe in Him if they don't hear about Him. And they can't hear about Him unless someone preaches to them. And they can't preach to them unless they are sent. But what about when they are sent and they do preach and people do hear, but they still don't believe. And so they still don't call upon the Lord. You probably know people like that in your life that you're burdened by. You're grieved by the fact that they have not yet responded to the gospel. How did Paul explain what was going on with so many Jews not believing even though they have heard? And how does that apply to people who are not Jews or Gentiles, right? but likewise have not believed and not called upon the name of the Lord even though they've heard? Here's what Paul says beginning in verse 16. He says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, Paul has just said, as we rehearsed a moment ago, in verses 14 and 15, he's just laid out his argument, people have to hear in order to believe and call on the name of the Lord. In order for them to hear, somebody has to preach. In order for them to preach, somebody has to be sent. And he says that, that's what Isaiah is talking about when he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So we sort of ended on a, on a high climactic note, right? This is why we have missionaries. This is why we send out preachers. This is why we give money to send people out to preach the gospel because there's so many people who haven't heard and they can't believe until they hear and we want them to believe so we've got to send people to tell them and yet we cannot ignore the fact that many have heard and yet have not believed what does the scripture have to say about that well that's what paul begins to talk about in verse 16 he says but they have not all obeyed the gospel For Isaiah says, and then he quotes Isaiah 53. Now, at this point, I think that Paul is already thinking specifically about the Jews again. This would apply to Gentiles who've heard the gospel as well. But down at verse um, 19, right, he starts to talk specifically about Israel again. But but I ask, did Israel not understand? And this whole chapter, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, is mainly about Israel, right? So I think even in verse 16, even though he doesn't name Israel yet, I think he's going back to his main focus. He's talking about Israel mainly. Again, though this applies to Gentiles who have heard and not responded as well. But notice, he says this in, a, in what to us seems like a rather unusual way. Notice, he says, 
they have not all obeyed the gospel. What does that mean? We might, because of other things that Paul has said, we might jump to the wrong conclusion when we hear Paul say they have not all obeyed the gospel. We might think, aha, there's Paul again talking about the Jews misunderstanding how they're supposed to respond to the Scriptures. Remember at the end of chapter 9, he said the, the problem is the Gentiles who weren't seeking God, who weren't trying to be righteous, they have become righteous by faith. And yet the Jews who have the Scriptures and have the law and were trying by the law to be righteous before God have failed to be righteous because they pursued the law by works rather than by faith. So when we we hear Paul say here, they didn't obey the gospel, we might think, ah, see, they're trying to turn it into a works thing again. But that's not what Paul means. Notice he says, they did not all obey the gospel. And then he quotes Isaiah who says, Lord, who has believed. So here, Paul is linking believing and obeying when it comes to the gospel. So the problem with the Jews was not that they were trying to obey the gospel. Obeying the gospel is a good thing. Obeying the gospel means believing the gospel. The problem was they were trying to obey the law without the gospel. They were trying to be righteous by their obedience apart from Christ. Why does Paul say that we should obey the gospel? Or that, and that they have failed to obey the gospel. Because um, in the gospel, there is a command that we respond with repentance and faith. Right? So when Jesus began his ministry in Mark 1.15, what's the first thing he says? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, that's a command. And believe, that's a command. The gospel. So when we respond with faith to the good news about Jesus, that is an act of obedience. We don't normally think about it that way, because normally we're talking about faith versus works, right? And we put obedience sort of in the works category in our minds. But obedience is a part of how we respond to the gospel when we respond in faith. When we turn to Jesus, we are obeying the gospel. Right? And that's not a work that we are somehow contributing to our salvation. That's just the appropriate response. Now, here's one of the things that that means. Normally when we think about the gospel, we think about it as an invitation. We think about it as an offer. Right? Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's an invitation to come to Jesus for rest. And that's a, a right and biblical way to think about the gospel. But it is also right to think about those invitations as commands. And the reason why it's important for us to think about them as commands also is so that we understand that the invitation that God gives us in the gospel is not something that he is um, indifferent about the way we respond to. Eh, If you want to come and receive rest, great. If you don't, it's fine. It's up to you. Just, you know, just the offer on the table. No, when we reject the offer, we rebel against God. Failing to repent and trust Jesus when we hear about Him is not just a life choice. It is a sin. Because this is a command. 
That is the required response. It's not an option. So Paul says, again, I think mainly thinking about the Jews, though it would apply to some of the Gentiles who have heard too, they have not all obeyed the gospel. And yet this is not a surprise, because even Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 1, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And when you ask the question like that, you know the, the response you're expecting is, no one, or at least not many. So, um, we read that passage earlier, right from Isaiah 53, and we're really familiar with the later part of that passage. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, etc. We know what that's talking about. Right? We know that's talking about how Jesus took our place on the cross, bore our sin, so that we could be saved. It's amazing, right? It's beautiful that Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus came, so perfectly what Jesus would accomplish by his death. But we miss that he also prophesied that that message of what Jesus accomplished through his death would be rejected by many of the people it was delivered to. That's how he leads off the chapter. Who has believed? I'm talking about the Messiah. I'm talking about, even at the end of chapter 52, he's already talking about the Messiah. Isaiah has talked about the Messiah all through his book. And yet in chapter 53, he says, essentially, almost nobody's going to believe this. Many of the people that this message is for are not going to receive it, are not going to respond rightly to it. So, again, Isaiah prophesied not only Jesus' death, but also his rejection by his own people. In fact, earlier um, in Isaiah 53, um, it says in verse 5, He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We didn't think highly of him, despite the fact that we had been waiting for him to come. When he came, we didn't want anything to do with him. We got rid of him. Isaiah saw all that coming. And Paul saw it coming. And Paul tells us this so that we won't be surprised or mystified by what is going on when people don't believe this good news. Paul says in verse 17, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we can't believe, right, unless you hear. And what you hear is not just anything, right? It's got to be the word about Christ or the word that comes from Christ. It means basically the same thing. But again, the hearing and then believing, though they are essential, they are not automatic. You have to hear in order to believe, but hearing does not guarantee belief. That's why Paul, in verse 18, then says, But I ask, have they not heard? Okay, if if faith comes from hearing, but they haven't believed, is it because they haven't heard? No, he says, indeed they have. They have heard, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. That's a quote from Psalm 19, verse 4. That's the psalm that begins, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above uh, proclaims His handiwork. It's a psalm at the beginning about how God has revealed Himself in creation, what we call natural revelation or general revelation, that God has made Himself known through nature, through creation, to all people in general. That's what that verse is about, that um, 
everybody has heard or uh, had revealed to them in some way that God exists simply through the things that God has made, the things that we can see. You don't have to have a Bible, you don't have to have a church, you don't have to meet a Christian to hear about this God, because God has made himself known to all people through his creation. And Paul takes that verse here, and he applies it to how the gospel has been preached to the Jews, and is beginning to be preached throughout the world. They have heard Just like no one has an excuse for not worshiping God. Nobody can say, I didn't know there was a God, right? Because the the sky itself is saying to us, there is a creator out there who made all this. In the same way, Paul's saying that the Jews cannot claim ignorance about the message about Christ. Because that message is going out through all the earth. Okay then. What's the problem? They hear, but they don't believe. Was this expected? Should we have seen this coming? What about the fact that the gospel is now going to the Gentiles? As Paul said at the, at the end of that uh, episode in Acts 13, right, where he preaches to the Jews in the synagogue, and there's some excited people at first, and then the second day they get jealous and they say, this Stuff Paul's telling you, it's wrong. And Paul says, all right, well, we had to tell you first, but since you reject it, now we're going to the Gentiles. Is that something that the Jews should have seen coming as well? Well, it is. Paul ends this chapter with three quotations, one from Moses in Deuteronomy and two from Isaiah, to explain what's going on with Israel and the Gentiles, and ultimately with us. Verse 19, he says, But I ask, did Israel not understand? Now, did not understand what? Did not understand the gospel? Or did not understand what God was up to in sending the gospel to the Gentiles when they rejected it? I think the latter. That He said, did they not understand that if they rejected this gospel, that God would send it to others? Did they not get that? They should have gotten that. And here's why. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. And with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And that comes from Deuteronomy 32, which is a long song that God told Moses to teach to the people of Israel so that they would be instructed by it. And one of the things that the book of Deuteronomy does, it's, it's Moses preparing the people to enter the promised land. Remember, it's a new generation. The generation that rebelled in the wilderness died out uh, as a part of God's judgment over a period of 40 years. Now there's a new generation. They're about to enter the promised land. But Moses knows, and God knows, that Israel is not going to stay faithful to the Lord. Even in Deuteronomy, it's clear that they are not going to be faithful. And in this song, in Deuteronomy 32, that Paul's quoting from, the whole verse, Paul gives us the second half of the verse, the whole verse of Deuteronomy 32, 21 says this. Remember, Paul expects us to know more than he tells us about these quotes. The whole verse says, They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger 
with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So he's saying, Israel is going to be unfaithful to me. And Israel's relationship to God throughout the the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the church's relationship to God in the New Testament, is described like a marriage. And so idolatry is adultery. Idolatry is unfaithfulness. And just like there's a good kind of jealousy that a husband should should have, there's a good kind of jealousy that God has for his people. He wants them to be faithful for him. It's not the... You know, it's not the bad kind of jealousy that we can also think of, you know, but it's the the good kind, the healthy kind of jealousy. And so he says, Israel has made me jealous with gods who are not gods, with idols. They've turned to other gods and like a husband who genuinely loves his wife, I am jealous for my spouse. And I'm angry, right, because they have turned away from me to these idols. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make them jealous with those who are no people and provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Now, who's he talking about? Well, the Israelites, of course, are a nation and they have a cohesive identity. We're the circumcised ones. We're the ones with the law. We're the ones who worship the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And everybody else is them. Right? The other, the Gentiles. There are other nations, you know, but they're just all sort of in a lump as far as Israel is concerned. They're not a people. They're just the outsiders. And so God says, I'm going to make you my chosen special people who have this unique identity. I'm going to make you jealous with people that you consider no account, no people at all. The Gentiles, I'm going to provoke you to jealousy and make you angry through a nation that you count foolish, a people that you don't even really count on. So Paul's point, right, in quoting that passage from Deuteronomy, he said, well, that was a long time ago. I mean, there's a lot of instances of idolatry in the Old Testament that Israel committed after Deuteronomy that you could say that verse applied to. And that's true. But what was the ultimate act of idolatry on Israel's part? It was when God himself took on flesh and walked among his people and they said, we have no king but Caesar. He's not our God He's not our Messiah. He's not our Savior. We want nothing to do with Him. It was an act of outrageous idolatry. And so what did God do? He began saving the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. In fact, Paul's going to say later in chapter 11, part of what drives his ministry to the Gentiles is his desire to provoke Israel to jealousy so that they'll say, wait a minute, the Gentiles are getting the promises to Abraham and we're getting left out because we rejected Jesus. We got a, we, we made a bad deal. We need to change. We need to repent. We need to trust in the Messiah. That's Paul's Goal: save as many Gentiles as possible in part so the Jews will feel left out so that they will turn to Jesus. That's what God is up to. Right? Seeking to provoke his people to jealousy 
through the Gentiles whom he is now drawing to himself. Then Paul goes to Isaiah. And he says, then Isaiah is so bold as to say, and here he's quoting from Isaiah 65, verse 1 in verse 20 here, and then Isaiah 65, verse 2 in verse 21. So two verses back to back. And in verse 20, he quotes Isaiah saying, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Now, there are two ways that people take that verse. On the one hand, you can take that verse as applying to the Jews. Right? That they've stopped seeking the Lord. They're chasing after idols. They're not asking for the Lord. And yet God says, I'm going to show myself to them anyway. I'm going to save them anyway. Uh, like one teacher said, this is, you could see this sort of like uh, what Paul did with Hosea. Hosea talks about how Israel is no longer my, God's people. And God's no longer going to show them mercy. But then he does make them his people again. He does show them mercy again, which shows that he can save Gentiles because the Israelites themselves were like Gentiles for a while. That's possible. But I I think it's just straight up about the Gentiles. I think he's just saying, look, the Gentiles who weren't seeking me, who weren't asking for me, I have revealed myself to them. I have shown myself to them. I'm, I'm saving people who didn't want anything to do with me Even while the people who claim to want everything to do with me are turning their back on me. Now that's the big story of the Jews and the Gentiles. But doesn't that story play out on a smaller scale a lot of times too? There's some people who are super religious. But they just don't get Jesus, they never, that's all, it's still about their works, it's still about all their deeds, it's still about them, and all the things, they, they read the Bible, they go to church, they're super religious, but they miss Jesus entirely. And then some 18 year old kid who's never read the Bible, never been to church, has a friend share the gospel with him, and he's like, yes! Yes, I want to belong to Jesus. I want to follow. What do I need to do? I want to follow Him. Can I have a Bible? Can I go to your church? Can, 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 we, have, can we have a Bible study? Can we meet tomorrow? Wasn't even looking for Jesus. Wasn't seeking Jesus. But God says, I'm going to show myself to Him. God's still doing that. Still does that. Does that mean that He's done with Israel? That He's given up on all the religious people who haven't got it yet? No. Look at verse 21. But of Israel, He says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. He doesn't say, I've turned my back on them. He doesn't say, I've thrown up my hands in disgust at them. He says, all day, all day, I'm holding out my hands to them. Though they are rebellious, though they are disobedient, though they are contrary, stubborn, and stiff-necked, still here, open arms. One teacher says this quotation, points firmly to the fact that the last word is not with Israel's disobedience, 
but with God's mercy. As we're going to find out in chapter 11, God's not done with Israel. And their rebellion is not, as this quote says, it's not going to have the last word. God is still going to do something amazing and dramatic and beautiful with his people Israel. And if he hasn't given up on Israel, then we shouldn't give up on those who've heard again and again and again and again and again, but remain stubborn, remain rebellious, remain in their unbelief. There remains hope because God is merciful. God's patience towards Israel reveals how deep His mercy goes. If He hasn't cast them off yet, who else is He still showing patience toward? Who else is He still willing to show mercy to? Those who hear but don't yet believe should not keep us from continuing to preach, to share, to spread the gospel, to pray. Even those who have not believed after the thousandth time may yet believe in time. Israel's rebellion has proved God's patience and God's mercy. And that's good news not only for Israel, but also for us and for those who have not yet believed. Let's pray.